You know, there was an interesting period in Israel's life. First of all, Saul was king, and he got into battle with the Philistines, and he lost. And not only did he lose his life, and not only did Jonathan lose his life, but they lost the ark of God. The ark was the place of his presence. It was the place of his glory. God said of the ark on the mercy seat above the ark, he said, right there will be my presence. And so they lost the ark, and it went to the Philistines. And the Philistines thought the ark was the source of their power, so they thought if they had the ark, they would have that power. Well, as soon as they got it, people started dying. They started getting sores and boils and diseases, and, and they were dying left and right. And soon, it, if they figured out, it was because God, the God of that ark, had placed curses upon them because they shouldn't have the ark. It was not theirs. So they put it on a cart and sent it back to Israel. Now, here's where it gets interesting. I want you to read this. This is really unbelievable if you think about it. First Samuel chapter 7. So the men of Kiriath-Jerim came to get the ark of the Lord. They took it to the hillside home of Abinadab and ordained Eleazar, his son, to be in charge of it. The ark remained in Kiriath-Jerim for a long time, 20 years in all. And during that time, all Israel mourned because it seemed the Lord had abandoned them. I remember reading that for the first time and thinking, what in the world was the ark? Why did they leave it there 20 years? Why didn't they go ahead and take it into Jerusalem where they had been missing it? They longed for it. They knew it was the presence of God. They knew it was the place of God's glory. What in the world were they thinking when they put it in Abinadab's home? And yet, they didn't do anything about it. But they mourned that they didn't have the presence of God where it should be in the, in the tabernacle in Jerusalem. And here's what's interesting. As you read through the story, worship continued in Jerusalem without the ark. They continued to do all the religious activities. They just didn't have the ark. Now, in a sense, they had the, the altar. They could do their sacrifices. They had all the other elements. They only lost the ark, so they could do all the other things. And so religious activity continued in Israel for 20 years without God's presence. When I thought about that, I thought, you know, how like America this is. This is so much like the way the church is today, is that we have lots of Activity, religious activity, but without the presence of God. And we long for and we miss the presence of God, but we don't actually know what we're missing. And so the picture you see of Israel going on with the activity 
without the presence of God is a picture God wanted to give you and I of the church today. This is what it looks like. And it's happening all over the world, all over America. Is that religious activity is happening, but it doesn't have the presence of God. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. The God's presence. And I have to admit that if there's any subject I love preaching about, and that is God's presence. And the story we're going to look at today in Exodus 33 is a powerful reminder of how much we need the presence of God. And so I'm going to just ask you to have an open heart this morning. Because I believe God, again, and when we started Wilderness University uh, nine weeks ago, uh, you probably thought, man, what are we going to learn from the Old Testament? What has happened 2,000, 3,000 years ago? What does that have to do with me today? Well, as you have learned each week, it has a lot to do with right now. Because 1 Corinthians 10 tells us that the events of the Old Testament happen in such a way that it is an example for us. It's something that we can learn from. And so today, God wants to teach us a lesson. He wants to speak to us about His presence. Now, last week, if you remember, we talked about how Aaron and the people of Israel rebelled against God. Moses was long up on the mountain. And while he was on the mountain, they created, molded, made a golden calf and then began to worship that golden calf because they decided, who's Moses? We don't even know if he's coming back. Of course, you remember what happened when he got down to the mountain, broke the tablets And so that was Exodus 32, and now we're going to look at Exodus 33. And God speaks to Moses. And he says something to him that's really, it's not just 3,000 years old. This is today. This is a word, I believe, that is on the heart of God today. And he wants to speak to every individual in this room. Because here's the truth. There's a deep inner longing and desire deep in your hearts. And that can only be filled with God's presence. You may not know what God's presence is. You may not recognize that. You may not understand that. But I'm going to tell you, the deepest longing of your heart is only filled only satisfied with his presence. That's the truth. And so I'm praying that you might pick up, hear, understand what God's presence is and how you can have his presence in your life. So the very first thing I want us to look at in Exodus 33, and that is that We have to be careful not to resist God's presence. 
And that's the question I want to ask you. Have you resisted God's presence? So let's look at Exodus 33. We're going to look at uh, first few verses in verse 1 through 6. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Depart and go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt. Notice what God is doing again. Remember, they were going back and forth whose people these were. <laughs> and so now God, he's all of a sudden transferred ownership back to Moses. Uh, Depart and go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt, to the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying to your descendants, I'll give it. And I will send my angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanite, and the Amorite, and the Hittite, and the Perizzite, and the Hivite, and the Jebusite, all the ites. Go up to a land flowing of milk and honey, and I will not go up in your midst. Whoa. I will not go up in your midst, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a bunch of stiff-necked whippersnappers. And when the people heard this bad news, of course, this is when Moses came back and told the people what God just said. They mourned. And no one put on his ornaments. Interesting phrase. Verse 5. For the Lord had said to Moses, Say to the children of Israel, you are a stiff-necked people. I could come up into your midst in one moment and consume you. Now, therefore, take off your ornaments that I may know what to do with you. So the children of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments by Mount Oreb. Now, what what are they doing? What's going on? When they left Egypt, they were given all kinds of gold, silver, and clothing, and all kinds of fancy jewelry. And these had been, they had been slaves in the land of Egypt. And so they were still wearing all this stuff. Kind of like their celebration. And even though they were sinning and worshiping a golden calf and directly disobeying God's word, they still had these fancy stuff on. And God says, you know, I've had it with these people. Have you ever been been working with some people and you just about right up to here on, you know, that's it. I've had it. I'm gone. Well, that's God's right about there. And he just says, Moses, let me just say this. I'm not going with you. I'll send an angel before you. And the angel will drive out all the ites. But I'm not going. Because if I go, because you're so stiff-necked and stubborn... I'm liable to kill them all. I'm liable to consume them all. He almost did it. Remember when, when they worshiped the golden calf and Moses interceded and God changed his mind. We talked about that last week. So Moses, he just, he doesn't like this. You begin thinking, God, you're not going with me. You're going to send an angel. But notice what God is saying. You're stiff-necked. Does everybody understand the terminology stiff-necked? I'm not talking about chiropractor problems. The analogy that is being used here is that when God tries to move you, God trying to move you this way, and you stiffen your neck and refuse to yield to the direction. Nope, nope, I ain't doing that. 
You see, God does that in our life. He tries to get our attention. God uses circumstances and situations to try and get our attention so that the Holy Spirit can move us in another direction. He can change our heart. He can do certain things that God wants to do in our life. But then we stiffen our neck. We say, no, God, I I want to do this my way. I've already planned out, God, how you're supposed to do this. Uh, And, Lord, you're just not listening to me. That's stiff-necked. It's hardened heart. It's resisting the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Second Chronicles 30, verse 7 and 8, uses the same terminology. He says, Do not be like your fathers and your brethren who trespass against the Lord God of their fathers, so that he gave them up to desolation, as you see. Now, you do not be stiff-necked. There's that same word. As your fathers were... And here's interesting, but yield yourselves to the Lord and enter his sanctuary, which he has sanctified forever, and serve the Lord your God, that the fierceness of his wrath may turn away from you. They refuse to enter into God's presence. They refuse to enter into the sanctuary because they had become stiff-necked. You see, what happens when you enter the presence of God, God convicts your heart. He changes your heart. He begins to straighten you out. God begins to give you new direction in your life. But when you don't want God's direction in your life, when you want to do your own thing, you stiffen your neck. And so it happened in the Old Testament. Did it happen in the New Testament? He used the same phrasing in Acts seven fifty one. Look at this. You stiff-necked and uncircumcised and heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. He was talking about how they were missing Jesus. They were missing Jesus. They were not hearing what Jesus was saying. And he's saying, you're doing just like your forefathers did. You're being stiff-necked, hardened heart. And so... I believe one thing God is questioning, one question he is asking us this morning, have you resisted God's presence? And when I say that, what I'm saying is, is God trying to do something in your life and you're resisting that work of the Holy Spirit? Instead of being moldable and pliable and say, yes, Lord, I want whatever you want. I'm, I'm here, Lord. I want to do what you want to do. It's not my way. It's not about me, Lord. It's you and your kingdom, Lord. Whatever I can do to please you and honor you, Lord, that's what I want. That's what the kind of heart that he's looking for. But when you say, no, Lord, I want to do things my way. You know, we get these plans, we think, okay, this is the way I want to do it, and I'm going to do it this way, and God, you need to do this, and and if you don't mind, God, I'd like you to do that, and and get that out of the way, and if you do this here, Lord, and you think, if God had just listened to you, everything would be fine. But you forget He's God, and not you. And so, I ask you again, have you become stiff-necked? And resisting the Holy Spirit. The second thing I see here, and that is, are you hungry for God's presence? You can see this in the next passage from 7 to 11 in Exodus 33. It says, Moses took his tent, pitched it outside the camp, far from the camp, and called it the tabernacle of meeting. And it came to pass that everyone who sought the Lord went out to the tabernacle of meeting, which was outside the camp. 
So it was, whenever Moses went out to the tabernacle, that all the people rose, and each man stood at his tent door and watched Moses until he had gone into the tabernacle. And it came to pass, when Moses entered the tabernacle, that the pillar of cloud descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle, and the Lord talked with Moses. Boy, that must have been a sight. And all of the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the tabernacle door. And all of the people rose and worshipped each man in his tent door. So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And he would return to the camp. But here's the key. But his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. Joshua here is a picture of what he's calling the church to do. You see, young man Joshua was so hungry for God's presence. He didn't have permission to go in the tabernacle. Only Moses had permission. But he thought, well, I can go just outside and I can stay right at the door. And when Moses left, he didn't leave because he said, I want to soak up all the presence of God. What is his presence? It is the absolute presence of his love and his mercy, the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit as he inhabits us and fills every need that we have, satisfies that deep longing that we have. Joshua was a man that hungered for God's presence. He was not content to just stay at the, his tent door. That's what everybody else did. Everybody just watched Moses go by. They went out politely, stood at their door, and fell down at their tent uh, and just, just worshiped God right there. That was it. They fulfilled their obligation But Joshua was not just about doing the minimum. He was about doing, I want to be as close as I can. And I believe the Spirit of God is speaking to hearts today to challenge some of you to not be satisfied with just minimum church. Not just do what you can get by with. You know, some people feel like they're fulfilling an obligation. Well, I I went to church, God, as if somehow that impresses God. He's interested in more than you just doing the minimum of getting to church. And some people don't even do that. But he's looking. This is the call of God's heart. You know, Matthew 5, 6, Jesus said this. He said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Another question I have for you. If you're not hungering for the presence of God, what are you hungering for? Today, what are you really hungry for? I can tell you this. Whatever you're hungry for, if it's not God's presence, it's not satisfying you. It's not filling you. It's not meeting the needs of your heart and your life. Religious activity, good works, without the presence of God, 
will not satisfy you. It's the reason so many people are burning out and giving up on church. Because they do religious activity, but there's no presence of God. They don't experience the presence of God in church. But I have great news for you. The presence of God is, is for you not just at church, but at home. And in the car. And wherever you are, you can experience God's presence. As I got up this morning, knowing I was going to preach on the presence of God, I just was overwhelmed with knowing that right there, right where I was standing in my home, the presence of God was right there, ready to meet me and greet me and love me and hold me and fulfill my every longing. Now, I love corporate worship. There's something special and unique about corporate worship. I don't know. It's just, you know, the Word of God says that He inhabits the praises of His people. It's amazing. He also said, where two or more are gathered in my name, there I am in their midst. There's something unique about more than one believer meeting together. And when you get over a thousand people gathered together and we're all worshiping God, we are visited by His presence. If you have an expectant heart, hungry for Him, you will be filled with God's presence. Now, you can also have a different attitude. You can also, I, I've seen some people that come to church with kind of like a, okay, God, impress me if you can. See what you can do. See if you can impress me. And maybe you can, maybe you can't. You know, you will never experience the presence of God. Because your attitude is you're trying to figure out what you can get out of church. But church is where we come and give. We pour our hearts. It's not about what we're going to get out of church. It's I've come to worship Him. I've come to learn. I've come to fellowship with the body of Christ. I've come to learn about Him. And I've come to experience His presence. I, I, I tell you, I believe Joshua stayed at that temple door after Moses left for one reason. To give a picture for you of what God wants from you. Now, from his viewpoint, he was hungry for God. But little did he know that he would be an example written about. I mean, that verse could have been left out. It could have been totally left out. Verse 11 could have been totally left out about how he stayed at the temple. But no, God left it there as a message to the church 3,000 years later. Today, 2017, it is a message to the church today. This is what he wants. He wants a people. Who are hungry for his presence. Thirsty for his presence. If you are, you will be filled. You will be filled. The third thing that I think God is speaking to our hearts. Another question. Have you moved on without his presence? I want to read the next passage. 
just from 12 to 15 in Exodus 33. It says, one day Moses said to the Lord, you've been telling me, take these people up from the promised land, but you haven't told me whom you will send with me. You have told me, I know you by name and I look favorably on you. If it's true that you look favorably on me, let me know your way so that I may understand you more fully. Continue to enjoy your favor. And remember that this nation is your very own people. Reminding, you know, at the beginning God was saying these are your people. Now Moses is going back. No, 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 no. These are your people. 14. I love the verse. The Lord replied, I will personally go with you, Moses, and I will give you rest. (laughs) Everything will be fine. And then Moses said, if you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave this place. Remember how we started out in the beginning? God said, I'm not going with you. Because I'm afraid these stiff-necked people, I'm going to kill them all. Now, you see what Moses is doing. He's coming to God, and he's presenting his case. Lord, I have favor with you, right? You know, if you have a conversation with somebody, and they sit up, you know, they kind of come up to you, and they look at you, and they say, you love me, don't you? You know something's coming. They're they're trying to get on your good side. Trying to remind you that you love them. And that's what Moses is doing. Lord, you have said. You look favorably on me. You have said that I'm yours. And you haven't told me who's going to go with me. He, He did say he wasn't going. But did you notice he touched God's heart again? And then he says, it's okay, Moses. I will go with you personally. And it's going to be okay. And then Moses tells the truth. Lord, if you're not going to go, I don't want to go. I'm not interested in moving on without you. And again, I think one of the great tragedies of the church today is that the church has moved on without the presence of God. They were willing, they are willing to do what Moses was not willing to do. And that is move on without God's presence. You know, there's a passage in Revelation, it's chapter 2 of Revelation, verse 1 through 5. It's a church at Ephesus. We talked through the book of Revelation not long ago, and we talked about, these seven churches, but look at this first letter, the first church. Write this letter to the angel of the church at Ephesus. This is the message from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know all the things you do. I've seen your hard work, your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You have examined the claims of those who say they're apostles but are not. You have discovered they are liars. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting, but I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other 
as you did at first. Look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among their churches. Lampstand was your influence. God's saying, hey, you're doing good. You got a lot of religious activity. You're helping people. You're active. You're busy. You even root out all the people who lie and you expose them. You're doing all kinds of good things, have all kinds of good works. But he said, there's a problem. You've left your first love. You've moved on without my presence. You've become content to be busy with good work. But without God's presence. And this is what happens, folks. If you get busy doing good things, and I'm not against good things. We, we do all kinds of good things. We try to minister to the needs of people. We do. You know, we're having this Easter egg outreach coming up the day before Easter. The goal here is not to get eggs in the hands of the people. You understand that. But I am for anything that gives us the opportunity to preach Jesus. To lift up the name of Jesus and to remind them that there is a Savior who died on a cross for them. And they can be born again by the Spirit of God. Whatever we have to do to be able to get that message to the people, I'm for. But you can't get overly focused in the doing part. So much so that you miss the presence of God. And so many churches, they're like this church at Ephesus. They're busy. (laughs) They're doing great things. You know, social works. Helping the poor. It's empty and dead. Unless you have the presence of God. So I'm not interested in doing just a lot of social good if we don't have the presence of God in our life and if we're not preaching Jesus. The last thing I want to share with you, and I, and I have to admit, to me, the verse in verse 17, no, verse 16 we're about to read, is one of the most profound verses in the Old Testament. God's presence sets us apart. I want you to see just two verses, 16 and 17. This is Moses talking to God again. Look at this. How will anyone know that you look favorably on me, on me and your people, and on your people, if you don't go with us? And this is the part that just blows my mind. For your presence among us. Set your people and me apart from all the people on the earth. (laughs) The Lord replied to Moses, I will indeed do what you have asked for. I look favorably on you and I know you by name. (laughs) God said, you got you got my attention, Moses. You've got my heart. You reminded me of what I wanted 
you to remind me of. And God is speaking that to you. What sets you apart is God's Holy Spirit present in you. That's what makes you unique. It's what makes you special. It is what makes us different from all the people in the world. God's presence in us. You know, it's amazing. People can meet you and know something is different about you. You may have had people ask you that. I've had that asked many times. What is it about you anyway? They're looking at you, wrinkling their eyes and nose. Something is unique about you. And they can't quite peg it. What is it? I can tell you. It's right here. It is your presence in your people that makes us unique from all of the people in the world. His presence. So, His presence is so important, so vital. How can we welcome the presence of God in our life? Three simple things. Three things that I see from the Word of God that welcome the presence of God. First one, unity. Unity welcomes the presence of God. One, Psalms 133 tells us this, how wonderful, pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony. And, of course, the word there is unity. For unity or harmony is as precious as the anointing of oil that was poured over Aaron's beard that ran down his beard onto the board of his robe. Unity or harmony is as refreshing as the dew from Mount Hermon that falls on the mountains of Zion. And there the Lord has pronounced his blessing, even life everlasting. Right at his blessing is the unity, harmony amongst us. When we are together, united, supporting one another, praying for one another, on each other's side. We've got each other's back. We're praying for one another. We're encouraging one another. It welcomes the very presence of God because His people are getting along and they're working together. And what chases away the presence of God is when we're fighting and feuding and arguing and arguing who's the greatest and who's the best and who gets to do that and who gets the credit. All the things that don't really matter. Unity welcomes the presence of God. The second thing, and Brother Freddie mentioned this this morning, exalting Jesus welcomes the presence of God. It's what welcomes the presence of God, John 12, 32. Jesus said this, he said, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw everyone to myself. When Jesus is lifted up, all men will be drawn unto Jesus It welcomes the presence of God. The Holy Spirit is loosed to do His work of drawing men because John 6, 44 says, No man comes unto the Father except the Father first draws him. You don't get saved. You don't get redeemed or born again unless the Holy Spirit draws you. How does that drawing take place? Because people are praying for God to draw you to Him. And so people are praying. The Holy Spirit is drawing you and gripping your heart and pulling you to Him. And then the Holy Spirit is loosed to make a change in your life. And you can be born again. Exalting Jesus welcomes His presence. The last thing that welcomes His presence 
humility. If you're proud, especially if you're proud that you're proud, you know, if you get a humility medal, you shouldn't wear it. <laughs> you caught that, huh? One time my wife told me, she said, I'm going to take your humility medal away. I knew exactly what she was talking about. Humility welcomes the presence of God. No better verse that talks about this than Philippians 2, verse 5 through 8. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he didn't think of equality with God as something to cling to. In other words, he was not hanging on to his authority. He had all the authority in the world, but that's not what he's interested in. He's ready to give up all his authority. Instead, he gave up all his divine privileges. He gave up all that authority. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God. And he died a criminal's death on the cross. The man that had more authority than any other human being has ever had. And he laid it all down to serve us. Because it's not about authority. It's about serving. And you want to welcome the presence of God? Humble yourself before Almighty God. Now, if you're here in this room... And you say, you know, I'm not sure that I know Jesus. Because if you don't know Jesus, then you don't have the presence of God. So how can you know Him? You know, it's an amazing thing about the gospel. It's so simple. Confess Him as your Lord. Humble yourself before God. Acknowledge that you're a sinner, that you can't save yourself. Ask Him to come in, forgive you of your sin, and live inside of you. Then the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. I'm going to ask you just out of reverence for the moment. Just, if you would, please don't slip out right now. Nothing you're going to do is going to be that important. You don't want to do anything that's going to hinder someone else from getting saved. But there are people here this morning that need Jesus. Not religion, not religious activity, but you need Jesus as Lord of your life. You need to be born of the Spirit, born again. And if you will be born again, you can enjoy the presence of God every day of your life. The Holy Spirit beckoned you, called you, wooed you, and got you to church this morning. You might have thought, well, this is my idea, but really, in reality, God, the Holy Spirit, was working behind the scenes to bring you here today, to welcome you into the house of God, but also, if you don't know Him, to give you that opportunity to know Jesus. I said this a couple of weeks ago. I'm going to say it again. When you came into this room, some of you were filled with sin. 
and you know it. Today you have the opportunity to walk out of this place completely forgiven, completely washed, cleansed of all of your sin and become a brand new person. That's the opportunity you have right now. You can walk out forgiven of all of your sin and have no sin in your life. You can be filled with the Holy Spirit and start a new direction in your life. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet if you would. Worship team is going to sing. And as they sing, I want to invite you, if you would be willing to give your heart and your life to Jesus, you would be willing to pray with me. I'm going to ask you to make your way out of your seat. Come right down here and meet me right here. I want to pray with you. Holy Spirit, we welcome your presence this morning. Draw by your Spirit, Lord. Would you come this morning? As we welcome the presence of God, would you come, anyone? You want to be born again. You want to ask Jesus Christ to come into your life. Would you make your way out of your chair this morning? Meet me right here. I want to pray with you. Anyone else? be willing to say yes I need your presence Lord I need you in my life yes thank you thank you yes anybody else I believe there are other people God has you here for a reason anyone else be willing to say yes I want to give my heart and my life to Jesus anyone else there's some young man here that God is calling you and putting he's put you here this morning would you yield to him and say Lord here I am I want to give my life to you anybody else
sing it together. Let's welcome the presence of God. welcome you today I want to thank you Lord that is your presence fills each person your presence would be with us Lord I pray that the seeds of your love and your mercy to us would be sown in our heart this morning and all through the week we would remember that you love us you care for us You have a plan for us. And we want, Lord, we desire, we hunger, we thirst for your presence, Lord. Not just on Sunday morning, but every day of the week. Help us, Lord, to make a difference in this world. We love you, Lord, and bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise God.